The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome to Data Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be brave, and be fearless, let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. Today's guest is Ryan Berry. He is the Chief Revenue Officer at Zappi. Welcome, Ryan. Time to welcome this week's data guru. Welcome, Seema. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on the podcast. I understand this is your first podcast, so I'm really excited for you to be on Data Gurus first. I am pumped. I was a little nervous this morning, but I'm excited to be here. So tell us a little bit about Zappi. Yeah, so, so Zappi is a business we started four years ago that was really started because we thought there was a problem with research where you either had to program surveys or wait a long time to get access to tangible insight. So we built a platform that pre-built methodologies that are designed to answer specific business questions and then took out all the manual process so organizations could click a few buttons and then do an ad test that is expert-led and tied to some normative data, but do so overnight so they're not waiting or having to think about what questions to ask and everything else. And then about two and a half years ago, we merged with an analytics and data visualization company intellection software, I process automation to uh, some machine learning and more advanced analytics. That's what we do. We're having a ton of fun. We're doing research today in 37 countries, I think, around the world with some really cool brands. Very cool. And you've had an amazing run. I mean, you're only, the company's only four years old, correct? Exactly. So Steve Phillips, who is our founder and CEO, was a legacy qual research guy and was spending all his career trying to convince people around new behavioral economics models. And he was underwhelmed by the response because it was a big thing. So he had this epiphany of, if I could automate process and scale expertise, this would be a great business. So he then started pitching the model to some friends. In late 2013 was kind of the first entrant of Zappi. And we won the Innovation Exchange Award at the IAX conference. And then had a couple of beta clients. And then, yeah, it's been a fun ride so far. We've been humbled at the growth we've had, but also maintained kind of true to customer centricity. So we're constantly pushing ourselves, which is good. I think that philosophy of customer centricity definitely helps fuel growth if you're meeting clients' needs and scaling. It's definitely a sound strategy. You talk about in our industry, there's been a culture of instant gratification that's really shaking up MR. And give us a little bit of history around that. Like, are people truly frustrated or did you see a need in terms of speeding up the process and then clients followed? Was it a chicken and egg thing? How did that work? I mean, to be very honest with you, I think we probably started a little bit ahead of the time. At the beginning, when we were out talking to early customers, it was, it, was mixed, it was mixed reception. Some people thought they didn't need to move faster or had excess budgets, et cetera. I mean, the last four years, it's been a massive evolution of, I would say, a couple of key trends. The continuation of technology disrupting everything. Mass media and mass media doesn't control the world anymore. And marketing has become an extremely programmatic data-driven industry. I mean, I've been an insights professional my whole career, and we sort of seem to have stayed on the sidelines a little bit. In this programmatic world, we seem to still be very project-based. And so it's, it's really an interesting time at, at present because we kind of created a little bit of a category, and now there's a bunch of great companies that are doing similar work to it, which I think is fantastic. But also, you're starting to have, you're starting to see a need to have much more advanced dialogues with companies like us because 
the times are just different. Marketing and business are realizing that if they don't have why data in a programmatic world, there's problems. Maybe our growth rate would have been faster if we started right now. It was also interesting co-creating what, what we would need to do to make things credible versus just kind of rushing through it. I mean, embracing this from an end client perspective is, is pretty, I wouldn't say provocative, but you take a risk, right? Because you're changing yeah. things up internally in your organization. Do you see commonalities in your client base that embrace Zappi into the research portfolio of solutions? It's an interesting time at Corporate Insights landscape. You know, I mean, there, there was a time, remember when I got into this, this business, there was a time where half, more than half of the Corporate Insights job was, was really procurement, right? Of managing vendors. And then there's been this desire, I think, to get more ingrained into the business. Somewhere in between, there's also a need to have technical skills, right? To actually know how primary research gets done and what a good sample frame looks like and all those other kind of key things. There is a pretty consistent theme that I've seen with the clients who have embraced systems like Zappi. They're also seem to be more engaged with business intelligence. Mm -hmm to do be doing a lot in the space of automating a, a lot around interviews or using market research communities to get on-demand Y data for co-creation. Have a really nice balance of technical capability, a willingness to be a bit hands-on, but also seem to be very ingrained in the business. I don't know if this is, has much to do with Zappy or not, but a lot of the people who were insights managers when we first met them are VPs now, which is pretty yeah, cool. That's cool. You know, there's, we've had some clients who have brought us in and very quickly they're they're too senior to talk to us anymore. Which, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I curated a panel. It was probably a year or so ago. I was just a moderator and it was a bunch of corporate leaders from Iconic sure. Brands. And it was interesting because I asked them what, the, what they look for in talent. And it was storytelling. It was business acumen. It was understanding of psychology and consumer behavior. And it was very little about understanding scale bias and questionnaire design. Anyways, I mean, so I run a software company that has a lot of either... I used to work at Kantar. I have a lot of colleagues who worked at big brands like Coke and AIG and others. And we, we joined because we, we, we saw there was some change. But in many ways, the people who I look to hire are the same. But it, I just found it to be really interesting that I'm looking for the same sort of talent running right. a business that's trying to grow very quickly. And hopefully we can start to attract those skills because I feel like for a long time, I mean, you see a lot of articles of companies like P&G or Coke and Pepsi losing a lot of top talent from top university to Silicon Valley. And I hope we can start to draw those people in because we're really at an interesting crossroads as an industry. We're looking at data. We're looking at people. We're looking at culture. We're using all of those things to help companies grow. I mean, I think it's obviously, I'm a, here's my sales pitch for the <laughs> insights industry, right? You know, I, I hope to see more people. I mean, at Zappi, we're, we're seeing people choose us over Google Maps because they get to solve more complex problems from an engineering perspective. But hopefully that trend continues. You said something interesting. Are you a research company or are you a software company? Or are you both? We're a software company. People use our software to conduct research. So okay. we're taking our capabilities and embedding them into organizations. We do have a lot of people with a lot of years of experience running this place, but we're not going into companies and saying, Here's how we think your advertising should be better. You do a lot of consulting, but the consulting is actually more around insights department, change management, and driving new capabilities, working with different vendors to bring things to life. And, and, and mainly it's because there is so much change in the industry. And, and I often say we exist because our industry kind of let us exist. That's one of my internal phrases that I say. So we, we, we try to share, like if we're getting learnings across a bunch of verticals, we'll just try to share that learning with clients in a way that can help them harness it. But yeah, we're not running executive summaries, call debriefs, that kind of stuff that's happening. You're enabling research basically. We enable research to happen. That's exactly right.
That makes sense. And what are some of the obstacles or the barriers that you face when you are having, when you're trying to sell the platform in to companies? I have a couple of really strong beliefs around sample. So I used to work for GMI, which ended up getting bought by Kantar. And after seeing a lot of trackers where data falls off and things look bad, when we started Zappy, it was, it was a very conscious choice to make sure everything was short and people ask and we lose business over it all the time. I mean, we just, we just don't do it. I love that. really challenge people to optimize the way they view the population because mm -hmm. I, I think too often you've got these 20 question screening batteries and you end up talking to you end up talking to yourself I've seen so many examples of this is the best ad ever and it's like well of course it is you spoke to <laughs> your best customer who loves you and tells you everything you need to know but driving that change I think is difficult in many ways when we so the way that Zappy works is the surveys are templatized and then you can add a couple of customizations we thought that would be the biggest barrier is like, oh, people are going to want to change everything in the survey. That's actually not an issue. It's, it's the sample, I think, that becomes a, a big one. But it's also this, there's a risk aversion to change. I mean, I spoke about this with you a few minutes ago, Seema, about like four years ago, it was, yeah, we like you, but we've always done it this way. And I think the appetite for change has, has really accelerated. But that, that is one of my big barriers is the phrase of, well, we do it this way. We've always done it this way. And if it's working, by the way, I mean, there, there are some companies we met with and they've just got some amazing systems in place. And it works. They're awesome. It's like, hey, right. can we learn from you then? Yeah. So, so tell me how it works in terms of products that you offer. I know some of our clients that work with you guys and have shared their product methodology and you've automated it. If you could give us a little bit of an idea of how does that exactly work? Because that's a general, basically, framework that I shared. The system has APIs into panel providers. So we okay. pipe into... SSI Research Now, Lucid, Scent, and then at the, at the survey or product level, we'll come up with a composition of sample source to make sure that every single project is going to have an appropriate representation. Then we pre-build the surveys with all the different iterations. So if you're selling a credit card versus a beer, we ask right. the question appropriately. And then that allows us to have a consistent data map. So a customer experience is, I want to talk to beer drinkers. Here's my ad. Here's the messages I'm trying to communicate. They hit go. That then calls the panel respondents, we quota manage, screen them, et cetera. And then when the raw data gets captured, we automatically take care of all the modeling and stat testing and visualization. So when the, when the data is collected, the report's ready. So what we do in terms of, you know, so as you said, some of your, your partners are potentially partners of ours as well. Sure. It's a simple philosophy. We want to scale and automate only proven valid methods. Many great methodologies and thinking around the industry. It's just tied to a manual model. So what we'll do is we'll distill those methodologies. We'll take the essence of the questionnaire, the modeling, if they have any unique modeling frameworks to get at a composite score. So a great example is we have a great partnership with Miller Brown and they have a composite score that they've, that they've looked at as a relationship to impact on ads for short-term sales as well as brand elevation. And then we I mean, basically just automate it. And then we do a rev deal. So when clients consume their products on Zappy, they, they basically are monetizing their intellectual property. And so before we put it on the system, run a bunch of validation to make sure that if you buy it, you get the same answer with us. And how do you view the market? Obviously, do you see a world one day where it's all Zappy and everybody's buying research through your platform? I'm being extreme here. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> but, maybe, I, but maybe not. I don't know. What, what's kind of your worldview of research that's being enabled through the platform? Well, I mean, my worldview of research is it's an industry that should be growing exponentially. I'm, I'm just super passionate about it. As a shareholder, hopefully our desire to be ubiquitous and all research runs on Zappy happens. We have some 
amazing competitors that are doing great things. And, you know, I, I like to see that, but I just think it's a really interesting time. I mean, there's, if the consumer is the boss, technology enables smart people to be able to do more with data. I, I just can't think of a time where consumer insights could be more valuable. Not only for, you know, the interesting thing about this industry is the full service companies are in a lot of trouble because it's, are we a consulting company? Are we a tech company or we're somewhere in between? So you've seen a lot of businesses that used to be on the old Hanna Michael list. They don't even exist anymore. Yeah. So they're all trying to figure out, okay, what is our play? Part of it is we're all fighting for P&G's budget. If you think of a world where technology makes great thinking available, companies like us, companies like yours, et cetera, all of a sudden startups can start to test their logos. It opens up a market which we don't have. I mean, I'd love to see a world 10 years from now where a pizza chain in Idaho is doing menu testing because they can, because they're able to attribute an ROI to it. I mean, I think we're miles away from that now, but I guess my worldview of our industry is I think management consultants see that there's an opportunity to disrupt the space. They're already consulting on transformation, on revenue growth. I mean, if you look at where all the venture capital money's gone into this space, into our space, all going into technology, whether mm -hmm. that is, I mean, Companies like Remesh that are facilitating conversations or Vox Pop Me or us, most of these investments are saying, oh my God, these guys are bringing insight to life and scaling it. And in talking to a lot of our investor partners, they see it as a space that's ripe for growth, but also frankly, for disruption. It's interesting. I mean, you probably remember this. Remember like eight years ago, all we would do is go to conferences and they'd be like, oh, this is the year of mobile. Oh, please. Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> I feel like, as I said to you, I feel like it's like people are making moves now. I mean, this, yeah. people are starting to actually... Whether it's because they want to or they don't have a choice, but it's a fun time. I mean, I joined Zappy because I saw an opportunity to be part of the ride, which has been fun so far. We're, uh, we're not in a rush. We're having fun. You know what I mean? That's awesome. So tell me a little bit. I mean, obviously going from four people, 220 people in four years is, is quite a bit of growth. Talk to me a little bit about the culture at Zappy. How do you keep the ship steered properly, get everybody engaged? What's the culture like? The culture is my favorite part of, of Zappy. I mean, our technology is great. We're doing cool stuff. The people... Right. Are unbelievable. And it's interesting because at each one of these inflection points where we grow from four to 10 and 10 to 50, whatever, we're like, oh, hopefully it doesn't change. I mean, we're really selective of who we hire and culture fit is a part of hiring. So if you get through the door, you're smart, whatever you do, whether that's engineering or data science or sample or whatever, or sales or whatever you might do, culture fit is important. And I think one of the reasons why our culture is great is, is, well, a couple of things. It's a very diverse place. So we've got over 25 countries represented in our staff, all different types of backgrounds. It's not like a template where everybody's the same. Has to be the same, right? Yeah, and so because of that, everybody's like, you walk into a Zappy meeting and sometimes you're like, well, everybody's arguing all the time. Yeah. And it's because everybody's smart and different and has a unique perspective and courageous honesty is one of our core pillars. And so people desire to be better, which means they, they open themselves up to be challenged. I think another big part of it is we're not a hierarchical company. We're about as flat as you can be. Anybody in this organization can come up with an idea, can make up, can make a decision and can innovate. I mean, one of our colleagues just wanted to play around and experiment with could Zappy and Alexa work? And so he just hacked it over the weekend and he figured it out. We really buy into the notion that if you're going to hire great people, you should let them run the place. And so I, I think because of that, there's a high degree of engagement from our people. I'm the CRO, but I'm not, I don't show up to work and say, because I'm the CRO, do this. I have to earn my leadership sort of capital every single day. And I, I think people respect that. So the culture's fun. I mean, there's, there's some buzz in the air. You and I are talking right now and the English semifinal game just started. Yeah. So I'm looking out into our lounge and there's a couple of beers that have just been born and people are you know, having a bit of fun. So I think it's just that balance of really smart people. It's okay to be honest. We run an autonomous business where the customer is the boss and we're all driven to grow. 
right? So everybody is really focused. It's what makes the culture great. I love it. So tell me, you talked about leadership capital. What exactly does that mean? Because I actually think that organizations are changing. Like the old hierarchy of command and control is kind of gone, going away, especially as the younger generation continues to grow. And as leaders, we definitely have to wonder, where do we continue to add value? How do we spend our time? And how do you justify, quote unquote, being a leader? It's a great question. It's one that I'm constantly trying to get better at. I, I have to constantly know my stuff. We roll out some new process. I make damn sure I can do it. I'd be the first one to get on the phone with a customer if something goes wrong. But I also think just having empathy for people, right? And yep. understanding what motivates them and where, you know, what, what success for their life looks like and what they like to do outside of work. And I, I think if you understand people and, and you also are willing to really listen to them and be challenged by them. I mean, our head of customer success, and his name's Dan and I, and we'll be in a meeting with 30 people and be like, Ryan, that is absolute bull. I don't think you're right. And, and you know what? Gotta love Dan. I don't know if he's going to listen to this, but <laughs> <laughs> he usually is. And that's like awesome. You know, <laughs> I, think, I think it's just this, this notion of like being very accessible. I'm me, whether I'm talking to the CEO of Pepsi, an investor, you, or an intern at Zappi. So I think the authenticity is also important. And, and then really just kind of just caring about the people that you work yeah. for. I don't think you've ever, uh, there's a great book that Kim Scott wrote called Radical Candor. It's just this notion of if you, if you actually care about people, mm -hmm. then you can be really honest with them. And, and it, you know, and it works because I'm a, I was raised by a inner city Dubliner. So I only know how <laughs> to be very direct. But I think the other part of it is I had a colleague say this to me. We were, we do an all company retreat once a year where we take everybody in the company somewhere cool, somewhere remote. And we, we just work on stuff that we want to work on. One of my colleagues basically said to me, the reason why you're our leader is because we choose to follow you every day. And so it really resonated with me. And I, and I think like, I have to bring it every single day yep. because it's not a one-way conversation. Mm -hmm. it's, now, I have a certain set of capabilities that put me into a leadership mm -hmm. role, but it also is, it's my responsibility to make sure everybody's opinion is triangulated and the whole thing. So I think leadership, not authority, is the key thing for me. And, and, and you see it everywhere. I'm not the only person talking about this. I'm 32 years old, right? right. So I'm, I grew up in an environment where I had some great leaders who... Right. We're like, hey, man, you, you know what you're doing. We'll trust you. And that, that empowerment of people also, it brings results. So Absolutely. It also isn't like a fluffy thing. You, well, you can't fake people. You let them do their things. They do awesome work. And you can't fake it. Like yeah. I always say, yeah. you can't fake it. You can't pretend to care. People can see between the lines. And, and I think that goes along in sales as well, quite frankly. It's, it goes along oh, in everything. Yeah. <laughs> we, have a, we have a sales guy who's got this really funny self-deprecating approach to him. He'll try to say to clients every reason why we aren't a fit just to make sure. And I mean, his customers just love him and he's authentic. We have a, his, one of his colleagues isn't that way. He's more professional. He's more polished. That's him though. You know, and that works too. So it's, I think it's, it's something that we talk a lot about when we're training people is we're going to give you some data-driven best practices, but like these words got to be yours. So Ryan, what do you worry about? What do I worry about? I worry all the time. I, I mean, so I'm a, I'm a father of two soon to be three kids. I left my fairly easy job at Cantar to come build a startup. <laughs> right at the heart of yeah, parenthood. <laughs> yeah, but basically I was three months into Zappy and we found out we were having our first and then oh, we- Oh gosh. So the things I worry about are business-wise, our staff. Le leadership does come with responsibility. And I'm somebody who is, I feel responsible for the people we employ on a day-to-day -day basis. Business-wise, we work like somebody's coming to take it away every day which means we work hard. So which brings me to the life point, which is it's, 
it's a great time to find cohesion. I'll steal that from Jeff Bezos because I think he said it best. It's not really work-life balance, it's cohesion. But I also worry in an environment where I'm traveling around the world all the time, working nonstop, how do you be present with your family? I don't worry too much, but I'm very aware of those things I just said. I I oftentimes worry about the Patriots because they are, (laughs) that's probably more of a worry thing. But no, I mean, I think work-wise, it's like just making sure we're staying ahead. I think that's, those are my key things. Um, I I think that, I mean, there's always this buzz of the biggest existential risk and insights being big data takes over consumer insights. It's like a macro level worry. Right. So I, that drives me because I, I, I think actually talking to people is, is so valuable. Maybe this will, maybe like 10 years from now, I'll be proven to be wrong, which, you know, I'm an adaptable person, so that's okay. <laughs> that does worry me, right? Like yeah. I, I think it's our job to make sure that actually talking to people is accessible because otherwise there's a lot of us who are going to be in trouble. Yeah, that's true. And also I do not even from a protection perspective, but that it's truly valuable. Like you have to hear the voice and the opinions of consumers to be able to drive strategy and make decisions. I hear from our customers, I want this and I'll triangulate that with five other things and say, cool, heard you, but we're going to do this. And in many cases that ends up being what they want. The Henry Ford example of, uh, you know, we want a faster car. Right. mean market research is invaluable. It just means we need to make it the lens that it is. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining me today. And I would love to have you back soon. I'd love to chat. Take care. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.